Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, and this week we are talking about the disappearance and most likely homicide of Stephanie Stewart, a 70-year-old fire lookout worker in Alberta, Canada. But as always, before we get into it, make sure to follow at Great Unsolved on Twitter, at Great Unsolved Pod on Instagram, join our Facebook group, and like our Facebook page, both of which can be done by searching Great Unsolved on Facebook. We also have a Patreon where there are tons of Patreon-only episodes, a monthly bonus episode that will start up again this month, September. I give you a shout-out when you join, both on social media and the podcast. You get early access and ad-free episodes, and there's even more. Joining Patreon helps me devote more time to researching and covering all of these unsolved cases. Stephanie Stewart was a 70-year-old woman at the time of her disappearance in 2006. Now she would be 86 years old, if still alive. She was 5 foot to 5 foot 2, reports differ on that, 100 to 105 pounds, with blue eyes, permed shoulder-length gray and auburn hair, and she always wore glasses. So, obviously, we can tell she was a very small woman, and she was getting up there in years, but she was actually a very accomplished outdoors woman. She was not like a grandma. She had hiked Mount Kilimanjaro in the last 10 years before she disappeared, and she biked across Canada solo. So, don't go into this thinking, like, your grandma, 70 years old, I don't know, they could be confused sometimes, they could not be able to do this job, climb a ladder, you know, things like that. She was the exact opposite. She knew what she was doing, she was very active and fit, and she was good at what she did. At the time of her disappearance, she was stationed at Athabasca Fire Lookout, which was on the outskirts of Jasper National Park and 8.4 miles northwest of Hinton, Alberta. Her cabin and tower combo, which we'll get more into in a little bit, was only three miles from the main road. So while it was in the forest, it was in a dense forest, it wasn't in the middle of nowhere. She drove up to it, other people could drive up to it, it was not that far. She began working at this location of the Athabasca Fire Lookout in 1993. So she had been there for 13 years before her disappearance and 18 years in the job in total. 
Just five of those years, she worked at a different location. She went missing on August 26th of 2006 and was reported missing at around 9 a.m. So a little bit more about her job slash home, since it was both. Alberta had fire watchers since the 1930s, so well over 70 years when Stephanie disappeared. There was 100 fire lookouts in Alberta. I believe there was actually more than 100, but I believe now there is 100. And Stephanie had been a fire watcher since 1988, which, like I said, was 18 years before she went missing. She looked for smoke and other things that signaled a fire so that she could report it as soon as possible and get people there to hopefully get rid of the fire so that it doesn't damage too much of the forest. Where she was, this was highly important to see the fire early and get it under control because the valley in the area was known for fires and was very close to the town. So wildfires travel fast and it could obliterate the town pretty quickly because it wasn't a huge town, so her job was very important in this area. And she did it well, she was committed to it, and she was very responsible about it. So her little station consisted of a cabin to sleep, eat, keep things in, and a tall steel lookout tower, both of which were generally on high ground, either a large hill or a mountain, so that the fire watcher could see even further. She spent most of her days April through September in this tall steel lookout because that's that was her job. She was up there trying to look for fires, so most of her daytime hours were spent up there. I want to mention that to get up to the steel lookout tower, you had to climb up a ladder. So Well, Stephanie could do this, it's going to come into play later that it would be very hard for someone to injure her up there and then carry her down that ladder. Now, it's also probably a fact that she was safer up in the lookout tower because she had time if she heard somebody or saw somebody and, you know, she could see further than she could in her cabin. And this is brought up a lot in the case. I probably won't bring it up again, but... A lot of people highlight that in America, well, in the U.S. and other places, the lookout tower and the cabin are kind of one together. So you go up a ladder or stairs or whatever, and then you live up there as well as work up there, which does seem safer once you look at a case like this, but I don't believe Alberta had really ever had any issues like this, so it didn't make sense for the cabin and the tower combo to not be safe. So let's jump into the day she disappeared. Around 8 a.m., people at the head office found it odd that they did not get her morning weather report. This was something she did every day, and from my understanding, she had to check in and do this three times a day. And the first time was at 8 a.m. in the morning. And she religiously did this. Like I said, she was responsible. She knew what she was doing in this job. But on August 26th of 2006, she did not call in. 
The head office waited a while to do anything, thinking maybe she didn't hear an alarm, she was still asleep, or she was in the process of getting the weather report and she was going to call any second. But after a while, it was clear this was not going to happen. So the head office decided to first call and see if there was an issue. So they called multiple times with no answer. It is stated in some places that one or more times the phone was actually picked up and hung up, which with a landline, that's how you got to get rid of calls. You can't just ignore calls kind of like on a mobile phone. You have to pick it up and hang up. And you generally do that pretty fast, so I don't think there was any conversation in these calls that were picked up and hung up, but it's never really been made clear if there was. It is also stated in some places that the phone was eventually completely disconnected. So they were calling, no answer, they called a few more times, somebody picked up and hung up, so they kept calling and eventually the phone was no longer connected which is very creepy within itself. By 9 a.m., she was reported missing when she had not checked in, and somebody from the head office was sent out to her cabin and tower to see if something was wrong. When this man who was sent out there to check arrived, he saw her gray pickup truck parked near the cabin and was hopeful. You know, if her truck's there, she must be there. However, on the porch and steps of the cabin, there were spots of blood. Some places say there was so much blood they knew she was deceased. Some places say there was just spots of blood. So once again, kind of an unknown in this case. When he went inside, there was a pot on a burner that was on high, and pretty much all of the water had been evaporated. Now, it doesn't take long for water to evaporate, especially if the pot is on a burner that is on high. I have forgotten about a pot of water multiple times and ruined multiple pots, and the house would get all smoky, and it's just, it doesn't take long. So, my sense is that it would have been a half hour or less since someone put that pot on the stove especially since there was still water in there. So it seems the guy who was sent to check on her just missed either her or somebody who was there with her. Besides the pot and the blood, there was no sign of Stephanie in or around the cabin or the tower. So this next piece was not discovered until later in the day, but it is worth mentioning at this point. It was discovered that two pillows with blue pillowcases, a maroon sheet, a Navajo pattern comforter, and a gold watch were missing from Stephanie's cabin, along with her, obviously. None of these things have ever been found, and it is little suspicious why these things would be taken. The gold watch was said to be a keepsake that she always had with her, so that being gone does not directly point to a robbery in this case. The RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, came quickly and started investigating right away. 
By August 27th, investigators and forensic people arrived to the scene as well. Stephanie was last heard from on 9 p.m. August 25th. She was on the phone with her daughter, who said she sounded fine and wasn't planning on going anywhere. So that is really all we have for the facts of the case. It is not much to go off of, but we do have a lot of theories. So it was originally thought it was an animal attack. Animal hair and tracks were found near the cabin. However, there wasn't enough blood, supposedly, in the public reports. There was no sign of a struggle, and her body or pieces of her body were not found. Clothes, pieces of clothes were not found. Nothing was found. And nothing was found in extensive searches either. So you would think you would find at least a scrap of something. But... We see this in a lot of cases. Uh, Dior Kunz Jr., he went missing, and it was theorized he might have been attacked by an animal, but there was nothing found, so they kind of let that theory go. Also, with the things missing from the cabin, you would think you would find something. A pillow, pillowcase, blanket, you know, not everything would completely disappear. By August 27th, the day after Stephanie went missing, RCMP said she was most likely kidnapped and murdered, which is the most plausible theory in this case overall. There was some blood indicating she was at least injured, not officially reported, but reported that enough blood was found to equal her death, which I think might have had to have happened because it is really hard to say somebody's dead without a body. So having the evidence of enough blood, she lost enough blood that she would have bled out anyway, would make a lot of sense in this case. The RCMP does say that forensic evidence at the scene points towards her being kidnapped and murdered, or at least just murdered. There could have been more blood on the bedding, which is why it was gone, or she could have been wrapped up in the bedding by the killer, which is why it was gone, or another theory is that she could have been sexually assaulted and the killer took it to get rid of any DNA evidence. She was obviously older, very small, and didn't really have any weapons, So this is a plausible theory because there's not much to defend herself. Yes, she was very fit and active, but that doesn't mean you know self-defense. It doesn't go hand in hand. I feel like they should have at least had some kind of gun at these stations because, I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. There's a bunch of animals that could hurt you. If somebody comes up, it's going to take a while for emergency services to get there. I know Canada's gun laws are stricter, but I feel like for a job like this, it should be something that they have. Or, you know, I don't know, something. Like, we live in the country, and I'm home alone a lot of the time, and if I did not have two large dogs, I would not have moved out here because that is terrifying to me to be in the middle of nowhere, be so far away from people and not have a way to defend yourself. 
As for the watch being missing, she could have been wearing it or the killer could have taken it thinking it was valuable. The problems are the watch has never been found. She had no enemies, which means at least originally right off the bat, there was no concrete suspects and there was no evidence of someone else there, such as DNA, at least not known to the public. Another theory is that she could have gotten hurt on her own. The tower had a ladder. She could have fallen from it. She could have cut herself on something. She could have suffered a mental issue or forgetfulness. I know she wasn't forgetful and she had no history of this, but sometimes it can just pop up. Or she could have hit her head somewhere. Of course, there's some problems with this as well. Her body was never found near or around the cabin or tower, and there were extensive searches done. There is no evidence suggesting this. She was pretty fit, both mind and body, so it doesn't really seem likely. And she sounded fine to her daughter the night before. Things can happen very quickly, but you would have found something by now. The last theory is that she left on her own. I really don't have anything to support this. I only have problems with this, but it was worth mentioning as it is a theory in a lot of places. So the problems are that she loved what she did and was very responsible. She would not just leave her post and kind of have the community fend for themselves if a fire did happen. She loved her daughter. She had just talked to her daughter. She probably would not just up and leave without mentioning something to her daughter. She had a garden she loved at the cabin that if she just up and left, it would have died. And she was said to be a huge gardener, so that probably would have devastated her. She had tons of books she loved. She was said to read stacks of books. So just leaving those all behind wouldn't make a ton of sense either. Her car was also still there. It obviously would be much easier to go missing if you at least took your car for a little bit rather than walking the three miles to the main road or off into the forest. Your chances would be much better of getting away and starting a new life safely. There has never been any activity in her banks or her social security, or it's, I don't know if Canada has socials. It was something like that, though. Um, There was never any activity on that. The police did watch it for a while to see if this was a plausible theory, and by the end, it just wasn't. Also, she was 70. Why would you start over? She seemed happy with her life. She had a daughter. She loved what she did. She was still traveling the world. I don't see a reason for her to start over. If we go with the most plausible theory of kidnapping and murder, we have some suspects. Travis Vader is serving a life sentence for... He's convicted of killing, but he still says he is innocent. Lyle and Marie McCann. Lyle was 78 and Marie was 77. They both disappeared after leaving their home in Edmonton, which was not too far from Hinton, Alberta, or the Firewatch Tower Cabin combo. 
They left their home in Edmonton in their RV to go camping to British Columbia in July of 2010. Travis went to rob them. He then killed them and burned their RV. The bodies have never been found, which is probably why he is still saying he is innocent. Because once again, hard to convict without a body. He was convicted, but until there is solid evidence, there's always the possibility he didn't do it, even though it seems very rare. Before he did this to the McCanns, he had a history of weapons charges, theft, and arson. And obviously in 2010, he started to have a history of violent crimes. So it's not unplausible to think back in 2006 he could have committed a violent crime and gotten away with it. He was reportedly in the area when Stephanie disappeared. He could have went to rob her and something went wrong, like the McCanns, and he killed her, or maybe his whole MO was to make it look like a robbery, but he actually wanted to kill them. Anyways, it does kind of tie in with the McCann's case. The pot on the stove could have been to start a fire to get rid of evidence, just like he started a fire in the RV to probably get rid of evidence there. Another suspect, which is an unknown, would be an unknown hiker. They could have stumbled upon the cabin, gone in to rob, or, you know, something else. Something went wrong, and they killed her and hid the body. They could have went in specifically to kill her, though, also. You know, Israel Keys, and there's other serial killers who would kind of hang out in forests or kill people in forests, and, you know, it's not unheard of that a hiker could come kill her. However, if they hiked to this location, it would have been very hard to get the body out that quickly and get it so far that immediate extensive searches found nothing. And obviously, there is a theory of an unknown killer, someone who planned it, or they could have planned a robbery that went wrong, and they knew where the cabin and tower was and waited for a good time. This is obviously possible because premeditated murder happens far more than just opportunistic murders. Local gossip said she had an issue with a person who ran an adventure course nearby, so that could be a suspect as well. Locals also think she could have seen something illegal and was murdered to cover it up. According to some locals, meth use and dealing was rampant in the area at this time. Stephanie seemed like the type of woman who loved her job and loved her community and wanted the best for it. So seeing something illegal and threatening to report it or starting to report it or just being seen that she saw it could be a very good reason for someone to kill her. I do want to mention a Reddit post from a local woman who wanted to be kept anonymous. She said she created a whole new account just to post this, so we'll just talk about it. Local woman posted on Reddit saying she was in Hinton 
in her car with her baby, waiting for her husband while he was in an interview. When a man parked directly in front of her car, it's unclear if the car was blocking her in or not, but it kind of sounds like it was, which just makes it a lot more creepy. The man came to her car and insisted that her and her baby were to get in his car and he can take them to the motel to get water. The lady says she was perfectly fine. The baby was perfectly happy. It wasn't overly warm. They were fine waiting in the car. So it seems like a very odd thing to say. I would get it if the baby or the woman looked upset, looked too warm, something like that. Like, oh, okay, here, let's go across here. We'll get you water. We'll figure things out while you wait for your husband. That makes sense. But if the woman and the baby, if they were perfectly fine, it just doesn't make sense. The woman said he fiddled with stuff, including rope, in his trunk. So the woman took the chance, grabbed her baby, and ran into the motel lobby slash cafe where the man followed and kept insisting. Eventually, a waitress got rid of him, but that was obviously still fairly traumatic, fairly difficult for the woman to comprehend. She said it happened just weeks before Stephanie went missing. The man was 6'2 to 6'3 with a large build, a gut, she said he was not fat though, oiled back, thick, dark hair, either late 30s, early 40s, and darker-skinned white. So she wanted to put this out there because she thought, you know, it could be connected. It was just weeks before Stephanie went missing, and it was in the general area. Obviously, even if this man didn't do anything, it's highly suspicious and in very poor taste on what he did to this woman and her baby. Hikers, police, volunteers, search and rescue officers searched the very dense forest for 2.7 square miles around the cabin and tower immediately and until October. But conditions got bad in October, obviously. It's Canada, it's getting into winter. They could not search any longer. Helicopters searched 2,900 square miles and none of these searches ever found anything. The helicopter thing is a little confusing to me because if it is such dense forest, I don't understand how a helicopter could have really seen anything anyway, but regardless, nothing was found. In August 2007, right about a year after she went missing, another search happened and nothing was found. Police said it closed active searching and stated that this case was definitely a homicide. We are 16 years on from Stephanie's disappearance, and nothing related to her disappearance, at least that the public knows, has ever been found. However, they do get hundreds of tips every year. The Albertan Fire Lookout System made a lot of changes after Stephanie went missing. Employees are now trained in self-defense. There are better lockable fences around the cabins and towers and more lighting so that the visibility is higher for the people working there. 
They have panic buttons in their cabins, and I believe they also have another panic button that they can wear or have to wear. There is obviously improved visibility, like I said, and the cabin doors and windows were fortified. I believe it is shatterproof glass in case somebody comes, tries to smash it, tries to shoot it. The people inside will be safe. These are things that I think should have been done before Stephanie went missing. I feel like these are good things to have anyway, especially when you have one individual, especially if it's, you know, a small woman doing this job alone three miles from like the largest road and miles away from an actual town. It is probably just good practice, but I feel like in the U.S. we plan for the worst So we would have these things implemented, whereas in Canada, they don't plan for the worst. Alberta doesn't get a lot of murders, and they had never had an issue with these fire lookout jobs before, so I kind of get it. To this day, the case for Stephanie Stewart's disappearance and likely homicide is not closed. There is a $20,000 reward for information leading to an arrest or leading to finding her body or anything along those lines. You can call 780-865-2455 if you have any information. Before we leave, make sure to follow us at Great Unsolved on Twitter, at Great Unsolved Pod on Instagram, join our Facebook group, and like our Facebook page, both of which can be done by searching Great Unsolved on Facebook. We also have a Patreon, where there are tons of Patreon-only episodes, a monthly bonus episode, which will start again this month, and much, much more. Joining Patreon helps me devote more time to researching and covering these unsolved cases. Thank you for looking into the disappearance of Stephanie Stewart with me, and have a great rest of your day. So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 US and DC 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited. At Kroger, we want our fresh produce to meet your expectations, which is why we're dedicated to doing up to a 27-point inspection on our fruits and veggies, checking for things like scarring. In fact, only the best produce, like zesty oranges and crisp carrots, reach our shelves. Because when it comes to fresh, our higher standards mean fresher produce. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone.